Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome today for the very first time, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Director of Sprott Asset Management, a global alternative asset manager focused on precious metals and real assets. He's there with headquarters in Toronto, Canada. Ed, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, thanks for having me. So, Ed, first of all, uh, it's obvious that uh, you were selected by Divine Providence to uh, go into the gold business because you were born into the family with the last name of Coin. I'm sure we're not the first to uh, recognize that here. No, I'm convinced that's the only reason why I got the job to begin with. So, uh, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> so, Ed, you come out of uh, University of Missouri with an architectural degree and became an architect for a short period of time and have now spent the last 25-plus years in the uh, investment management industry with a variety of positions with as, uh, major asset managers, including some strong names in the industry, Royce Funds, Weig Mutual Funds, Neuberger Berman, and others. So let's begin with, tell us about how you transitioned and why from being an architect into the world of investments. Sure, sure. Well, you know, at, at you know, 15 or so, you either want to be a firefighter, a, a police officer, or a professional athlete. And, and I always thought being an architect was, was kind of up there as well. And so I started down that path and actually went through all the education and um, had some success in at least you know, securing a job in New York uh, for a furniture design company, not quite an architect job, but nonetheless in design. And I, I realized that uh, that sounds great on paper, but you know, the reality of finance, uh, it didn't really pay the bills. So I actually got a part-time job working evenings for a proxy company calling on the West Coast uh, for individual stocks. And I quickly realized that I was making more money on my part-time job than I was my full-time job. So I started kind of poking around in the world of investments and uh, found my way to a, uh, an institutional money market firm called um, Newberger and Bern- I'm sorry, um, Rich and Tang, and worked there for a while and then made my way over to Newberger and Berman and eventually found my, my seat with Marty Zweig. And Marty really took me under his wing and really taught me a lot about investing, how to allocate to this space and so forth. And I was lucky enough to cross paths with Chuck Royce, and then Chuck brought me under uh, his wing, and I spent almost two decades with Royce really focusing on the small cap equity space. Um, so really had a lot of, I was lucky to be exposed to a lot of kind of very, you know, kind of larger than life personalities between Roy Neuberger and Marty Zweig and Chuck Royce. I was fortunate to, to spend time with all three of them and that led me ultimately to Sprott. So, you know, leaving the architectural background and getting into the financial background, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It allows me to look at, at solutions in a more creative way than a lot of my uh, peers who have a business background. So uh, it worked out quite well for both me and my, my, uh, my partners. You know, Ed, I believe that uh, both Royce Funds and uh, Zweig Mutual Funds uh, do a lot in the area of educating uh, clients, so both advisors, uh, educators, etc., uh, as opposed to the the particular uh, product pitch, is that something that uh, you have taken from them and brought over there to uh, Sprott? 
I have. In fact, it was interesting when I joined uh, Royce. It was right when the tech the tech market was really taking off, and no one really wanted to talk about small cap stocks, and they certainly didn't want to talk about value stocks, right? Balance sheets, yeah, did not matter. They, they, they were out of favor eyeballs. at the time, yeah. That's right. So you know, the idea that we were going to pitch a fund to somebody just fell on deaf ears. So we really reinvented how to talk about the space and really educated people on why small cap companies, regionalized companies, monoline type businesses, companies that had large economic modes, like all these things that people weren't paying attention to. We really saw ourselves as an educator or a consultant in that space. And it took about five years to play out. But once the tech bubble did burst, all of a sudden balance sheets mattered again. And clients like, hey, I remember that guy that was coming in talking about balance sheets. Who's that firm again? And, and sure enough, the assets started kind of rolling in over time. And so we really found that you know pitching product typically is not the way to go. And this was 20 years ago, and it certainly isn't the way to go today. And then when I left when I left Royce over um, about three and a half years ago now, I, I applied that same approach to Sprott of really looking at not pitching people on gold per se, but really advising them or consulting them on the space and how to think of it differently, right? Instead of just saying, hey, look, you got to buy gold because uh, the market's too high or you got to buy gold because, you know, we're, we're taking on too much debt. And instead, learning more about their business and educating them and consulting them on, on what gold does, not focusing on what gold is, but really focusing on what gold does over multiple market cycles and really being an educator in the space to the point to where people are now seeking us out, which uh, took a couple years to, to sort of build that brand, but it's starting to play out nicely. So, uh, Ed, uh, we, we interviewed uh, Rick Rule. Uh, of uh, Sprott a couple of years ago, and uh, he talked to us about uh, asset management in the world of uh, precious metals and real assets. So tell us, what is it that attracted you to uh, Sprott, and what is it that keeps you there, and what do you find interesting and exciting about the world of precious metals and real assets that were not in small cap and in mutual funds? Sure, sure. Well, the precious metal thing is kind of funny. You know, our CEO, Peter Groskopf, always says this. He says, one of the best things about having you on board is that you're not a gold guy. You don't think about gold the way most gold investors think about it. And I really came to Sprott because I was really uh, focused on or enamored with the whole alternative asset bucket, right? Because everything else had kind of played itself out, you know, large cap, small cap, dividend payers, bonds, and so forth. The traditional marketplace, I didn't feel like as an educator or an advisor, I could really add a lot of value there. So I thought, where can I go in the marketplace that's going to be different? And I didn't start out thinking I wanted to be in precious metals. I started out thinking I want to be in the alternative asset space because that's an area that's sort of misunderstood, misrepresented in a lot of ways. And through that, I sort of found my way um, to Sprott, found my way into precious metals. And one of my business partners, Whitney George, who was with me over at Royce, he was there for about 24 years, and I was there for a little over 18. He came to kind of the same conclusion and came to Sprott before me. So once his non-compete expired, uh, I came with him. So it was sort of a combination of me being interested in the alternative asset space and then me working with a partner that I had worked with for over two decades and had a very good working relationship with. We both kind of found it for different reasons, but I came to Sprott really seeing gold is a true alternative asset and not so much as a commodity. In fact, at Sprott, we even like to say that, that gold's really the original alternative asset out there when you think about what gold does over multiple market cycles. 
it has a lower negative correlation to traditional stocks and bonds. So to me, when I started getting excited about alternative assets, gold over time became the natural process for me to look at or focus on, given its performance patterns over multiple market cycles. So tell us here, Ed, uh, in the world of precious metals, uh, real assets, especially gold, what is it that you guys offer? Do you have ETFs? Do you work through uh, the futures market? Do you work through options? What do you guys offer and, and how do you do it? Sure. Futures and options, not so much. You know, we are really a true precious metals real asset firm. So we think owning the physical metal itself is where this, the conversation starts. We're not really into the paper market per se. So we have a full suite of solutions, over $10 billion in assets, over three decades worth of experience really consulting and advising clients on the space. But we basically cover the entire waterfront. We have a, a, a full suite of trust that we created that allow clients to invest directly in the physical metals, whether it's gold, silver, or a combination of both, or even platinum and palladium. These trusts allow the clients to actually own the physical metal directly in a fully allocated, unencumbered way, and they can even take physical delivery of it if they meet the minimum requirements. And so it allows the client to actually own the physical metal in a trust. And what's unique about the trust is because of the way it's structured, it allows the clients also to have a potential tax advantage on how their capital gains are treated. So typically, if you own precious metals, you're going to pay a collectible tax of 28%. Through our trust, if you're a U.S. investor, you're going to pay the asset rate, which, depending on your filing status, is going to be 15 or 20%. So now we offer a tax advantage way to physically own the metal directly uh, for U.S. investors. So that's, that's the first conversation I have with most investors, is owning a bit of physical metal. Then the second one would be the equity side, and, and we do offer two factor-based ETFs that give you exposure to large cap or in the, or in the gold space known as senior mining companies. And then uh, we have a second ETF that gives you exposure to the junior miners or small cap mining companies. And then we have a full suite of active solutions, typically larger minimums, typically for family offices, institutions, and so forth, that will give you exposure to direct individual equities. Um, and also on the private lending credit and debt side. Um, in fact, we actually have been so uh, enthusiastic about the equity story right now with all the M&A you've seen, particularly in the large cap side of the space, that we launched a joint venture with the Tocqueville family and John Hathaway and his gold team, Ryan and Doug, uh, back in uh, February of this year to focus specifically on mid to small cap junior mining companies that we think are A, you know, great capital allocators and B, potential takeover candidates over the next three to five years. So we offer a full suite of solutions, whether it's physical, factor-based, low-cost ETFs, or active equities, or active private lending credit and debt strategies. So everything that covers the precious metal space, uh, we have a foothold in. So, so tell us, uh, this has now been your world for the past three and a half years, and you've certainly been aware of it for far, far longer than that. What misperceptions do you see, Ed, by advisors and investors about investing in precious metals? Sure. I, I think the biggest thing people see when they think about precious metals is, look, if I'm going to think about precious metals, and I'm really admitting to my clients that everything else that we own is at risk. And that's really a misconception because all, all too often, it's kind of like active versus passive, right? It shouldn't be active versus passive. It should be active and passive. Same thing with gold versus equities. It's not one or the other. It's really gold is designed to enhance your equity portfolio. 
you know, I always talk about Buffett because, you know, Buffett pretty much every year in his, Warren Buffett, pretty much every year in his shareholder letter, he likes to talk negatively about gold. And we can all argue and, and, and agree probably that, you know, he's slightly more successful than I am and, and has a few more dollars in his bank than I do. So, you know, people listen to him, as they should. He's a, he's a, he's a celebrated investor. However, he doesn't understand gold. He, he talks about gold the way he talks about stocks. and They don't pay dividends. It doesn't, uh, there's no intrinsic value. There's no earnings. But gold's not supposed to do that. You know, gold is designed to protect the dividends you earn on the stocks that you invest in. Gold is there to give you a negative or, or low correlation return pattern to your stocks and bonds. You only have to look at the fourth quarter of last year to see that theory play out. So, you know, that's, that's the, the misconception people have is it's gold versus equities. And we really try to get people to think about gold and equities. And if they, get to start, if they start thinking about that, it really starts to move away from that commodity basket and moves into that alternative asset basket. Say, okay, gold really can complement my portfolio because no one wants to move to cash, right? You have to be in stocks over full market cycles to reap those returns that equities drive and dividends drive and so forth. But at the record you know, levels we've seen in the market and the longevity of the bull market we've seen, you know, things are getting a little wobbly. You know, today's another great example. The market's continuing to show volatility. Going to cash is not the answer, but maybe allocating some, a portion of your capital to other assets that perform differently, that probably is the answer, and gold is a wonderful solution for that. You know, uh, one of our favorite sayings here that we use all the time is that diversification is the uh, only free lunch. That's right. In investing. And that's the case. I like that. And, and I, I cannot imagine an advisor saying, well, I'm going to look bad if I recommend something that be because uh, our other assets may lose money. Your other assets do lose money, pal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just wake up here. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's hard to understand. So who invests with you guys and why? Sure. So. It's, you know, it's really a mixed bag. I'd say the traditional uh, broker or advisor, so someone at, you know, at a major brokerage firm or an independent advisor, they, they, they invest with us on the margin. But again, they don't really think about gold the way they think about a mutual fund or an individual stock. So only, and this, this sort of sounds like self, you know, uh, you know, pumping up our own tires, but it tends to be the more sophisticated broker or advisor thinks about gold or the brokerage team that manages one or two billion dollars in assets, they'll think about gold. But the typical advisor that maybe has a couple hundred million, many of them don't think about it. And we have to really educate them on that space of, of why it's appropriate. If you go beyond the, t- the traditional investment professional, we have found that a lot of institutions, endowments, family offices, you know, firms and, and organizations and families that are really about not only appreciation of capital, but are really focused on preservation of capital, that's our client base. That's the clients that are finding us right now. Um, We're getting more and more unsolicited calls from institutions, endowments, universities, um, family offices are coming to us. Uh, So that's, that's the space that we find as our typical client. My goal is really to say, look, whether you have a dollar to invest or 100 million to invest, a percent's a percent, and gold should be a percent of your portfolio. So that's sort of my mission, as it were, is to really educate people on the allocation, regardless of how much money you have to invest. But typically what we've seen is it's the wealthier clients, the more sophisticated clients, the clients that have a larger investment committee or team 
they're the ones that tend to gravitate towards the space more often than not. Okay, so so tell us, Ed, uh, you know, an advisor is going to say uh, to him or herself, okay, look, we need to have a certain allocation to these alternative assets, gold or silver or precious metals, a good place to be. Let's start with gold, okay? Why should they work with Sprott as opposed to just buying an ETF of gold? Sure, sure. Well, I think what Sprott brings to the table is, is a couple things. One is this is our only focus. So a lot of firms have a gold fund, but their wholesalers, their corporate office, not really well-versed in the trade, in the allocation, the way we are. This is what we do every day, day in, day out. We write papers on it, white papers on it. We're quoted all the time in both the, uh, the European markets, the Canadian markets, and the U.S. markets. This is what we live and, and breathe and eat every day. So that's part A is, you know, we do a lot of calls with our advisors, with our investors, and their clients because we're a specialist in this space. And I think when you're allocating capital to niche spaces, you really want a specialist, right? You don't want a generalist that says, oh, yeah, we have something that covers that waterfront. So that would be part A of, of it. Part B of it is that our product suite is really unique in that we do offer a full suite of solutions that I talked about earlier. Uh, but for the client that wants to truly own the physical metal, we're one of the few products out there that allows them to do that, particularly in a tax-efficient way. Um, so we do have a unique product suite, as well as having, you know, depth and breadth of talent and experience in the space. Um, so those are two of the primary reasons why one would want to think about working directly with us over just, you know, allocating to a typical ETF. And I would say one other thing about the ETF side, in addition to just the physical side, would be the equity side. Most of the ETFs out there are based off market cap, meaning the largest mines out there are the biggest positions in the portfolio. In the gold space, that's the absolute opposite way that you'd want to invest. You want to invest in the more nimble companies, the companies that have the ability to have a, a meaningful torque to the gold trade and so forth. So more the mid to junior space companies you'd want to invest in. The problem is they're very volatile. So you need a factor-based approach or an active approach because you need to identify who the better capital allocators are, who has the best properties, from a geographic standpoint as well as from a productivity standpoint. There's a lot of factors you want to take into play um, because it's not just about the torque to the gold trade. It's also about survivability. Will these companies be around to take advantage of the next move in the gold price? So, so there's a lot of layers to the gold trade. I always say it's the simplest allocation you could make because ultimately we're talking about a bid-ass spread on a yellow rock. But it's one of the most complicated trades you can make because there's so many different ways you can allocate to the space, whether it's physical, equity, debt, and so forth. So you really need a firm that's really focused on the space anytime you're thinking about a niche investment like gold. So, Ed, uh, tell us, uh, looking at just the price of gold here, not at gold uh, mining companies or anything, but the price of gold, it's moved for the past three years uh, in a fairly narrow range for a three-year period of time. So, uh, briefly, what affects the price of gold, and what do you see for the future? Sure. Well, you can ask that question to 10 different people, and you'll get 10 different answers. I mean, sometimes it's an inflation hedge, sometimes it's a deflation hedge. More recently, it's been the inverse of the dollar. Sometimes trade war conversations like we're seeing now can have a positive impact on it. Uh, surprisingly, sometimes when the Fed's raising rates, gold does very well, um, and other times it, it does poorly. So, there's no one thing that's going to drive the price of gold. The one thing we look at right now and why we're encouraged about the space right now from an opportunity standpoint is that 
as you mentioned, gold's been relatively in a tight trading range the last couple years. All the while, the S&P continues to go straight up. So we're not calling gold at a bottom of around, you know, call it 1200 to 1300 but it seems to be bouncing around that bottom uh, pretty effectively. And that goes into the whole store of value, right? Gold continues to appreciate over time, um, where the dollar, purchasing power of the dollar, depreciates over time. And I think that's why you're seeing this kind of bottoming effect or trend right now um, in the gold price. And what's interesting is each time over the last three years that the equity market has sold off, gold has done very well. So, for example, if you look at 2016, we all remember back in 2015 was the first time the Fed raised rates in a long time. And the market the first half of 2016 was freaking out about it. And the market sold off substantially. Physical gold was up over 20% in the first half of 2016. And gold equity funds were up north of 100% in less than six months. Now, they rolled back over a bit, but still finished the year up positive. Um, the same thing was true in 2017, more so on the physical side than the equity side. And then if you looked at the fourth quarter of 2018, when the Fed went from being on autopilot to taking a pause to maybe now even talking about uh, the next move may be down in rate direction, the S&P sold off 13%. The Russell 2000, the small cap market, sold off over 20 And gold was up over 7 And gold equities were up close to 20%. So we've seen multiple cycles here in the last just three years alone that gold kind of sits there and does its job. And then when there's a dislocation in the market, it, it, it ramps itself up from a return pattern standpoint. So we're really encouraged by that fact. And what people are sort of missing right now is that last year was the first year since 2011 that gold actually outperformed the S&P. S&P was off a couple hundred basis points. Gold was off only about 1%. And then from the September high of last year, gold's actually outperforming the S&P by almost 900 basis points, or you know, 9%. So we're into our third quarter now where gold's actually outperforming, and that's even with the strong run-up we had in the first half of this year. So slow, you know, change happens so slowly sometimes that people don't notice it until it's too late. And you're seeing gold start to act the way it's supposed to act, and it's starting to add real value and protecting a portfolio when there's dislocations in the market. So I think now is a good time to be thinking about the space. Okay, I'd appreciate that. I uh, appreciate that answer very much. So question we'd like to ask all of our guests, what keeps you awake at night? Sure. Well, this doesn't have anything to do with investing. Um, it's probably more of a personal issue, but uh, I have a 20-year-old daughter who just came back from her sophomore year of college. She goes to uh, school in Ohio. And it's funny, you know, when she's away, I really don't think about it much. I'm not really worried about it. But she's been home for about two weeks, and I can't fall asleep now until she comes home. And she reminds me that, you know, hey, Dad, I live away from home, you know, for seven, eight months of the year now. But uh, truthfully, that's what keeps me up at night right now. Um, you know, market-wise, look, I'm invested in stocks. I'm invested in real estate. You know, I live in a home. I pay a mortgage. You know, but I'm, I'm diversified. You know, my, my job, my income comes from precious metals. I'm invested in, you know, dividend-paying stocks and so forth. I feel pretty good about how my portfolio is laid out. I'm not trying to time the market. I'm not trying to move to cash. So from a, from a career standpoint and from an investment standpoint, you know, I feel pretty good. You know, look, I'm 50. I've, I've been pretty smart with my money. I've paid off most of my debt. So I don't really worry so much about my investment world. I mostly worry about my kids right now and my 20-year-old in particular. So that's what keeps me up at night right now. Well, I, I can tell you as a father of seven, uh, 
that will probably continue to happen throughout the rest of your life, no matter I, what I, I am sure phase right they're in that. here. Uh, we always worry about them, and then you get grandkids, and it, it just multiplies it. So what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners here? Well, if I can give you two. That'd be um, great. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both one's, one's investing and one's sort of business in general. But this book I actually am rereading. So I read it for the first time about 20 years ago, and it's The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is a great book about the formation of the Fed, written by Edward Griffin. And for those that don't you know, know, that, you know, the Fed was formed in 1913, but this group of individuals all met on Jekyll Island in, uh, in Georgia, right on the coast, back in 1910. And it's really fascinating for when you read the book about, A, why it happened, why the Fed was formed, and it gives you a lot of, of, of history on not just the U.S. economy and our markets, but on America in general. So it's really fascinating. And I decided to reread it about four months ago because of all the things that are going on with the Fed right now and Trump and Powell and, you know, the power struggles and so forth. And what's fascinating is this book was written back in 1994. And what's interesting about it is all the things they write about then are still true today. So nothing's really changed. And so that's a fascinating book that if you want to learn a lot about business and how our economy works, it's a fun book to read, and uh, it's a really informative book. So that's, that's, that's one I would, I would tell people to pick up. And then the other one is, is going into summer, there's always a fun read uh, to be had out there. And I just read this over the weekend, actually, um, and it's called The Lobster Chronicles. It's about a 100-page book by uh, Linda Greenlaw. And this is, I, 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 I put this in the business category, even though it's not a business book, it's more of a lifestyle book, but it's about the lobster, lobster industry up in Maine. And when I tell you, you start reading this book, and it's, it's fun to read about kind of what's going on in Maine and lobsters and so forth, you quickly realize about halfway through, it is a business book, <laughs> because all the things that go on in that industry, it's like any other industry out there, how competitive it is, um, how vindictive people can be, um, the cost of, of running a, uh, a lobster business. So that's a fun book you can read over the course of a weekend. You're coming into summer. Um, those would be the two I, I, I would read. A little bit more heavy is the, the Creature from Jekyll Island. A little more light would be the Lobster Chronicles. Those would be my two recommendations right now. Hey, thank you very much. We really appreciate that. We, uh, a while back, we interviewed Roger Lowenstein, who uh, recently uh, wrote a book about the um, the Federal Reserve, and uh, went back and looked at a lot of that history, and it was a fascinating interview to talk, to to listen and hear about uh, how things started and what America was like and and the like. So we appreciate that, and and no, nobody would guess that that book is about the Federal Reserve by the title. That's no, you sure. would not. <laughs> yeah. So uh, give for those who would like to know more, uh, give us your website and contact information. Will you? Ed? Sure, sure. So you can you can reach us a couple different ways. Obviously, the easiest way is just to go to Sprott.com, and you can learn all about our full suite of solutions there and download our white papers. We do a, a white paper about every six weeks or so, um, written by one of our portfolio managers. We have a, a special piece from Trey Reich, one of our portfolio managers that does a lot of writing for us. And uh, if you go to Sprott.com, you can learn a lot about our firm. Um, that's S-P-R-O-T-T.com. Uh, you can also call our uh, internal uh, sales and service desk at 888-622-1813 if you want to do a deeper dive into who we are as a firm and the suite of products that we do offer. And we're happy to do a one-on-one -on -one call and just kind of learn more about your business and then how we can help you allocate. 
Okay, so thank you very much. So final words for our listeners here, Ed. Well, I always, you know, my final word is, you know, you got to stay invested in the market, right? And I said this earlier, going to cash doesn't make a lot of sense. So you need to start thinking about alternative strategies. When you look at all the alternative strategies out there, just give gold a look and focus on not what it is, but focus on what it's done over multiple market cycles. And some of the best advice I, I have ever heard is the difference between a rich investor and a poor investor is time. So understand that your investment just takes time and if you allocate correctly, you know, you should win out over the full market cycle. Ed, thank you very much. Uh, we really appreciate your insights today, your articulateness, and uh, it's been very interesting. We appreciate you spending a few minutes with us and offer our best wishes for your and Sprott's continued success here. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Again, we've been talking with Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Director at Sprott Asset Management. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.